A Book of Myths by Jean Lang. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Book of Myths Orpheus. Orpheus with his lute made trees and the mountain tops that freeze bow themselves when he did sing to his music plants and flowers ever sprung as sun and showers there had made a lasting spring everything that heard him play even the billows of the sea hung their heads and then lay by in sweet music in such art killing care and grief of heart fall asleep or hearing die shakespeare are we not all lovers as orpheus was loving what is gone from us forever and seeking it vainly in the solitudes and wilderness of the mind and crying to eurydice to come again and are we not all foolish as orpheus was hoping by the agony of love and the ecstasy of will to win back eurydice and do we not all fail as orpheus failed because we forsake the way of the other world for the way of this world fiona macleod it is the custom nowadays for scientists and for other scholarly people to take hold of the old myths to take them to pieces and to find some deep hidden meaning in each part of the story so you will find that some will tell you that orpheus is the personification of the winds which tear up trees as they course along chanting their wild music and the eurydice is the morning with its short-lived beauty others say that orpheus is the mythological expression of the delight which music gives to the primitive races while yet others accept without hesitation the idea that orpheus is the sun that when day is done plunges into the black abyss of night in the vain hope of overtaking his lost bride eurydice the rosy dawn and whether they be right or wrong it would seem that the sadness that comes to us sometimes as the day dies and the last of the sun's rays vanish to leave the hills and valleys dark and cold the sorrowful feeling that we cannot understand when in country places we hear music coming from far away or listen to the plaintive song of the bird are things that very specially belong to the story of orpheus in the country of thrace surrounded by all the best gifts of the gods orpheus was born his father was apollo the god of music and of song and his mother the muse calliope apollo gave his little son the lyre and himself taught him how to play it it was not long before all the wild things in the woods of thrace crept out from the green trees and thick undergrowth and from the holes and caves in the rocks to listen to the music that the child's fingers made the coo of the dove to his mate the flute clear trill of the blackbird the song of the lark the liquid carol of the nightingale all ceased when the boy made music the winds that whispered their secrets to the trees owned him for their lord and the proudest trees of the forest bowed their heads that they might not miss one exquisite sigh that his fingers drew from the magical strings no man nor beast lived in his day that could not sway by the power of his melody he played a lullaby and all things slept he played a love lilt and the flowers sprang up in full bloom from the cold earth and the dreaming red rosebud opened wide her velvet petals and all the land seemed full of the loving echoes of the lilt he played he played a war march and afar off the sleeping tyrants of the forest sprang up wide awake and bared their angry teeth and the untried youths of Thrace ran to beg their fathers to let them taste battle, while the scarred warriors felt on their thumbs the sharpness of their sword-blades and smiled, well content. While he played it would seem as though the very stones and rocks gained hearts. 
nay the whole heart of the universe became one great palpitating beautiful thing an instrument from whose trembling strings was drawn out the music of orpheus he rose to great power and became a mighty prince of thrace not as a lute alone but he himself played on the hearts of the fair eurydice and held it captive it seemed as though when they became man and wife all happiness must be theirs but although hymen the god of marriage himself came to bless them on the day they wed the omens on that day were against them the torch that hymen carried had no golden flame but sent out pungent black smoke that made their eyes water they feared they knew not what but when soon afterwards as eurydice wandered with the nymphs her companions through the blue shadowed woods of thrace the reason was discovered a bold shepherd who did not know her for a princess saw eurydice and no sooner saw her than he loved her he ran after her to proclaim to her his love and she afraid of his wild uncouthness fled before him she ran in her terror too swiftly to watch whither she went and a poisonous snake that lurked among the fern bit the fair white foot that flitted like a butterfly across it in agonized suffering eurydice died her spirit went to the land of the shades and orpheus was left broken-hearted the sad winds that blow at night across the sea the sobbing gales that tell of wreck and death the birds that wail in the darkness for their mates the sad soft whisper of the aspen leaves and the leaves of the heavy-clad blue-black cypresses all now were hushed for greater than all more full of bitter sorrow than any rose the music of orpheus a long-drawn sob from a broken heart in the valley of the shadow of death grief came alike to gods and to men as they listened but no comfort came to him from the expression of his sorrow at length when to bear his grief longer was impossible for him orpheus wandered to olympus and there besought zeus to give him permission to seek his wife in the gloomy land of the shades zeus moved by his anguish granted the permission he sought but solemnly warned him of the terrible perils of his undertaking but the love of orpheus was too perfect to know any fear thankfully he hastened to the dark cave on the side of the promontory of Tenaris, and soon arrived at the entrance of hades stark and grim was the three-headed watchdog cerberus which guarded the door and with the growls and the furious roaring of a wild beast athirst for its prey it greeted orpheus but orpheus touched his lute and the brute amazed sank into silence and still he played and the dog would gently have licked the player's feet and looked up in his face with its savage eyes full of the light that we see in the eyes of the dogs on this earth as they gaze with love at their masters on then strode orpheus playing still and the melody he drew from his lute passed before him into the realms of pluto surely never were heard such strains they told of perfect tender love of unending longing of pain too great to end with death of all the beauties of the earth they sang of the sorrow of the world of all the world's desire of things past of things to come and ever through the song that the lute sang there came like a thread of silver that is woven in the black velvet pall a limpid melody it was as though a bird sang in the murk night and it spoke of peace and of hope and of joy that knows no ending into the blackest depths of hades the sounds sped on their way and the hands of time stood still from his bitter task of trying to quaff the stream that ever receded from the parched and burning lips tantalus ceased for a moment the ceaseless course of ixion's wheel was stayed the vulture's relentless beak no longer tore the titan's liver sisyphus gave up his weary task of rolling the stone and sat on the rock to listen naiads rested from their labor of drawing water in a sieve for the first time the cheeks of the furies were wet with tears 
and the restless shades that came and went in the darkness like dead autumn leaves driven by a winter gale stood still to gaze and listen before the throne where pluto and his queen persiphone were seated sable-clad and stern the relentless fates at their feet orpheus still played on and to persiphone then came the living remembrance of all the joys of her girlhood by the blue aegean sea in the fair island of sicily again she knew the fragrance and the beauty of the flowers of spring even into hades the scent of the violets seemed to come and afresh in her heart was the sorrow that had been hers on the day on which the ruthless king of darkness tore her from her mother and from all that she held most dear silent she sat beside her frowning stern-faced lord but her eyes grew dim when with a quivering sigh the music stopped orpheus fearlessly pled his cause to let him have eurydice to give him back his more than life to grant that he might lead her with him up to the light of heaven that was his prayer the eyes of pluto and persiphone did not dare to meet yet with one accord was their answer given eurydice should be given back to him but only on one condition not until he had reached the light of earth again was he to turn round and look upon the face for a sight of which his eyes were tired with longing eagerly orpheus complied and with a heart almost breaking with gladness he heard the call for eurydice and turned to retrace his way with the light footfall of the little feet that he adored making music behind him too good a thing it seemed too unbelievable a joy she was there quite close to him their days of happiness were not ended his love had won her back even from the land of darkness all that he had not told her of that love yet while she was on earth he would tell her now all that he had failed in before he would make perfect now the little limping foot how it made his soul overflow with adoring tenderness so near she was he might even touch her were he to stretch back his hand and then there came to him a hideous doubt what if pluto had played him false what if here followed him not eurydice but a mocking shade as he climbed the steep ascent that led upward to the light his fear grew more cruelly real almost he could imagine that her footsteps had stopped that when he reached the light he would find himself left once more to his cruel loneliness too overwhelming for him was the doubt so nearly there they were that the darkness was no longer that of night but as that of evening when the long shadows fall upon the land and there seemed no reason for orpheus to wait swiftly he turned and found his wife behind him but only for a moment she stayed her arms were thrown open and orpheus would fain have grasped her in his own before they could touch each other eurydice was borne from him back into the darkness farewell she said farewell and her voice was a sigh of hopeless grief in mad desperation orpheus sought to follow her but his attempt was in vain at the brink of the dark fierce flooded acheron the boat with its boatman old charon lay ready to ferry across to the further shore those whose future lay in the land of shades to him ran orpheus in clamorous anxiety to undo the evil he had wrought but charon angrily repulsed him there was no place for such as orpheus in his ferry boat those only who went never to return could find a passage there for seven long days and seven longer nights orpheus waited beside the river hoping that charon would relent but at last hope died and he sought the depths of the forests of thrace where trees and rocks and beasts and birds were all his friends he took his lyre again and played such strains as would have won the ear of pluto to have quite set free his half regained eurydice milton day and night he stayed in the shadows of the woodlands all the sorrow of his heart expressing itself in the song of his lute the fiercest beasts of the forest crawled to his feet and looked up at him with eyes full of pity the song of the birds ceased and when the wind moaned 
Through the trees they echoed his cry, Eurydice, Eurydice. In the dawning hours it would seem to him that he saw her again, flitting, a thing of mist and rising sun, across the dimness of the woods. And when evening came and all things rested, and the night called out to the mystery of the forest, again he would see her. In the long blue shadows of the trees she would stand, up the woodland paths she walked, where her little feet fluttered the dry leaves as she passed. Her face was as white as lily in the moonlight, and ever she held out her arms to Orpheus. At that elm vista's end I trace, dimly thy sad leaving taking face, Eurydice, Eurydice. The tremulous leaves repeat to me, Eurydice, Eurydice. Lowell. For Orpheus it was a good day when Jason, chief of the Argonauts, sought him out to bid him come with the other heroes and aid in the quest of the Golden Fleece. Have I not had enough of toil and weary wandering far and wide, sighed Orpheus. In vain is the skill of the voice which my goddess mother gave me. In vain have I sung and labored. In vain I went down to the dead and charmed all the kings of Hades to win back Eurydice, my bride, for I won her, my beloved, and lost her again the same day, and wandered away in the madness even to Egypt and the Libyan sands and the isles of all the seas. I charmed in vain the hearts of men and the savage forest beasts and the trees and the lifeless stones with my magic harp and song, giving rest, but finding none. But in the good ship Argo, Orpheus took his place with the others and sailed the watery ways, and the songs that Orpheus sang to his shipmates, and that tell of all their great adventures, are called the songs of Orpheus, or the Orphics, to this day. Many were the mishaps and disasters that his music warded off, whether he lulled monsters to sleep, more powerful to work magic on the hearts of men were his melodies, than were the songs of the sirens when they tried to capture the Argonauts by their wiles, and in their downward-destroying rush his music checked mountains. When the quest of the Argonauts was ended, Orpheus returned to his own land of Thrace. As a hero he had fought and endured hardship, but his wounded soul remained unhealed. Again the trees listened to the songs of longing. Again they echoed Eurydice, Eurydice. As he sat one day near a river in the stillness of the forest, there came from afar an ugly clamor of sound. It struck against the music of Orpheus' lute and slew it, as the coarse cries of the screaming gulls that fight for carrion slay the song of a soaring lark. It was the day of the feast of Bacchus, and through the woods poured Bacchus and his Bacchanites. A shameless rout, satyrs capering around them, centaurs neighing aloud. Long had the Bacchanites hated the loyal poet-lover of one fair woman whose dwelling was the shades. His ears were ever deaf to their passionate voices, his eyes blind to their passionate loveliness, as they danced to the green trees, a riot of color, of fierce beauty, of laughter and of mad song. Mad they were indeed this day, and in their madness the very existence of Orpheus was a thing not to be borne. At first they stoned him, but his music made the stones fall harmless at his feet. Then in a frenzy of cruelty, with the maniac lust to cause blood to flow, to know the joy of taking life, they threw themselves upon Orpheus and did him to death. From limb to limb they tore him, casting at last his head and his blood-stained lyre into the river. And still, as the water bore him on, the lyre murmured its last music, and the white lips of Orpheus still breathed of her whom at last he had gone to join in the shadowy land, Eurydice, Eurydice. Combien d'autres sont mortes de même, cette la lutte éternelle et la force brutale contre l'intelligence douce et sublime, inspirée du ciel, dont le royaume n'est pas de ce monde. In the heavens, as a bright constellation called Lyra, or Orpheus, the gods placed his lute, and to the place of his martyrdom came the muses, 
and with loving care carried the fragments of the massacred body to Labetlera at the foot of mount olympus and there buried them and there unto this day more sweetly than at any other spot in any other land the nightingale sings for it sings of a love that knows no ending of life after death of a love so strong that it can conquer even death the all-powerful end of orpheus a book of myths by jean lang